Um, we're in the middle of a series um, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, actually, today is our final Sunday. Um, and, and this has been an interesting topic, and we've had some really mixed reactions. Um, some of you have been like, oh, we are so glad that you were talking about this. This is, we thought, like, this has been missing. Um, and others of you have been like, we will be back when the series is over. Um, and because... Uh, Talk of the Holy Spirit freaks people out. I mean, partially just because it's, we, it's the Holy Spirit. It's this kind of like nebulous kind of, I, I ref, like to think of it as kind of like Casper the Ghost. Right? That, like, that's kind of the image that comes up in some people's minds. Or that's probably more charitable for some people. The image that comes up into their mind is like crazy people in white suits knocking people over on late night TV. Um, and, and so what, what we're trying to do is what we ask you to do over these four weeks as we talk about the Spirit is just kind of to suspend judgment. Um, and, and just to see if God has anything fresh and new to say to you. Um, and we've used um, the, the verse kind of to frame the series, Acts 19, 1 through 2. We read, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, um, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So what's, what's going on here is this Jesus movement. Jesus comes, he sparks all this excitement, and this Jesus movement begins to spread rapidly, and it begins to spread faster than um, infrastructure and training can spread. And so Paul is doing his best to go from community to community trying to bring some sort of structure to this early Jesus movement. Um, and so he says, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response was, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. One of the things I think we forget sometimes is that for the first 300 years of, this, of the church, there was no Bible, right? All they had were stories that got passed from community to community or maybe some of Paul's letters that someone painstakingly wrote down and then began to pass along and then eventually some of the Gospels that were written down. But that's all they had and it was just these scraps that were kind of passed along and a lot of it was oral um, and, and as you know, uh, if you've ever played the game Telephone, you know, you, you pass the message along to like three to four people and things begin to get twisted pretty quickly. And, um, and, and so uh, what Paul is trying to do is to, to, to try, I mean, honestly, what a lot of the early church leaders were doing for a long time was just trying to bring some sort of normalcy, some sort of like, this is what we believe as followers of Jesus. And one of the central things that they talk about over and over was the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of us are okay or at least can buy into the idea of God as Father, right? We have some issues with God being father, not mother, and all that. But we kind of get the idea of God as father. Um, and then um, we kind of get the idea of Jesus, um, God the Son. But, it, but it's, it's the Holy Spirit that trips us up. And so what we've tried to do is dispel some of the myths um, around the Holy Spirit and demystify some of the words. So what we've essentially done over the past few weeks is walk through a number of words. Um, in the week one, we tackled the word spirit. Uh, it's actually a really bad translation. In the Hebrew scripture, the, words that, the word that gets translated spirit is ruach, which is just wind or breath of God. Um, it is this life-giving generative nature that creates something from nothing. Uh, and then in the New Testament, the word um, for spirit is pneuma, which again means the wind or the breath of God. And then the next week, we looked at the word um, Pentecostal and the root of Pentecostal, um, another kind of scary word. And, and the root is this word Pentecost, which actually just means 50, um, 50 days after Passover. It was a Jewish holiday. And the early Christians take this holiday and they re-narrate it and they make it their, their
their own. Uh, and it's all about power from on high to carry out God's mission in the world. That's all it means um, Pentecost is about, right? So they gather in the upper room, the spirit comes on them, and then they go out and they proclaim the gospel. And then two weeks ago, before I left, we looked at the word charisma or charismatic, um, which uh, some of you grew up in churches that would refer to themselves as charismatic churches. And, and what we discovered is that charisma simply refers to spiritual gifts, that God empowers us through grace to carry out his mission in the world through gifts. Um, the literal translation is just a grace gift. And what I said, and my belief is that you will not be fully happy and you will not be fully fulfilled until you discover the reason that God created you, until you are living into your purpose. Right? You won't be happy in life until you have figured out what is that gifting and you are putting that into purpose. Today, we're going to look at another term, and the term we're going to look at today is um, baptism. And specifically, we're going to look at the idea of baptism um, of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, baptism simply means to be immersed in. Um, that's all that baptism means. It means to be immersed in. And um, what we've tried to do, um, what we hope to do as a church community is to take you on a spiritual journey. I began to think of my job as a pastor of, of something of a spiritual guide. Right? I want to help you take a next step. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I believe that God has more for you. Right? No, no matter if this is like your first day in church or you've been in church your entire life, God has more for you. And we want to help you take that next step. But, but your spiritual journey, kind of at, at a basic level, goes something like this, that step one is simply following Jesus. You take a leap of faith into the dark. You're like, I don't have all this figured out. I have questions. I have doubts. But I've decided that I want to live a life of love, a life of joy, a life of peace. That the life that I'm living is not the life that I want to live. I want to be part of this better story, this new story. And that's all it means to become a follower of Jesus, that you are like, I am in for this Jesus thing. Um, and, then, and then the next thing we hope you'll do is we hope you'll be water baptized or uh, essentially just immersed in water. I mean, we don't get in fights about whether you, uh, baptism by sprinkling is okay or does it have to be full immersion? We don't really care. I don't think Jesus cares. But we, we believe in immer full immersion baptism because for us it is a symbol of dying to the old and being raised to new life in Christ. And it's also just this incredible crazy celebration where we celebrate that someone um, that someone is becoming part of our family, that they are immersing our, themselves into this community and into this new story. It's all about immersion. Baptism, like the central idea of baptism is that we are immersing ourselves into a new story, into a new community, into a new family. And the cool thing is, um, is that is that in baptism, people who we weren't really related to before, we believe that they become, become our family members and that we're stuck with each other, um, which is really kind of a beautiful thing and scary at the same time. Um, Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, rural or urban, right? like that we are all stuck together. This is why we come and celebrate Eucharist every single Sunday. This is why we're invited to God's table is because we believe there's something unifying by coming together around this table that we, don't, we aren't the ones extending the invitation, but God is extending the invitation and God invites people that we would never invite to our table. Galatians 3, 26 through 27 talks about it this way. So in Christ, you were all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who are baptized in Christ, all of you who are baptized have clothed yourself, have put on, put on yourselves with Christ or clothed yourself with Christ. Essentially, you all who are baptized have put on the way of Jesus. Right? You have died to an old story. You were raised to life in a new story. Baptism is about immersion and it's about being clothed in a new way. Right? That's what baptism is about. Now, um, as a side note, and this will matter to like maybe two people here, maybe less, um, it doesn't matter how you were baptized or how the person said the thing when you were baptized, right? There are some um, thing, the, the liturgy, I think liturgy when you were baptized, how the, the words that were spoken over you, I keep wanting to say the incantation, but I think that's not the word I'm looking for. The words that were spoken over you when you were baptized, there are traditions that teach that if you were baptized and the person who baptized you did not say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that it didn't really take, those same traditions believe that if you weren't baptized, you are not saved. So essentially the idea is that you get to, you know, you get to heaven, you get to the pearly gates, and St. Peter is there, and he's going through the book he's flipping through and he's like i do not see your name and he's like were you baptized and he's like you know what i know what happened i don't think you were baptized properly and you're like but i was underwater i didn't even know what they said i'm sorry i take it up with the big guy so um we don't believe that and we don't believe that's scriptural but but for some of you that was a real thing that like is kind of haunted you that maybe I wasn't baptized in the right way. I mean, honestly, some of you, there's, there's things that haunt you that maybe I didn't say the right prayer or didn't do just the right thing. What I need you to hear today is that God loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine, and God is not out to get you. God wants to be in relationship with you, uh, and he would do just about anything to be in relationship with you, which I just think is so, so incredible. And so the first step in your spiritual journey is just following Jesus, is accepting the free gift of grace, of salvation. The second step is water, bapt or is water baptism. But there's a third step that's talked about in scripture that makes me slightly more uncomfortable because, it, because the first two steps kind of make sense to me. Following Jesus, choosing a new story, a new way of life, um, all that, like, I'm like, okay, I get that. And then even the idea of being baptized into a new community, that all makes sense. Um, taking a new story, being clothed in the Jesus, with Jesus, um, the character of Jesus, all that kind of makes sense. Um, I can wrap my rational brain around it. But then there's this third piece that's talked about a fair amount in the, in the New Testament, um, particularly in the Gospels and the book of Acts, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit talk in general puts me out of my comfort zone because it's just kind of nebulous and it's not overly concrete. And, and it's not something that, I mean, we literally, there's been thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages that have been written about the Holy Spirit. In, in, in seminary or in undergrad and, and, and seminary both, they were some of the most frustrating books that I've ever read because I'm like, you are trying to give language to something that is so beyond what we can ever imagine. Um, and then you often are creating a theology or a doctrine around this thing. Um, and, and, and it's just, it, it's frustrating and a bit scary to speak about that which is really hard to speak about. And so what I hope to do, but, but at the same time, Scripture talks about it. 
And, and Jesus talks about it. And, and so one of my promises to you is always that, like, I may not always get it right, but I will do my best to preach, um, to preach God's word and to preach it faithfully um, and with as much um, thoughtfulness and grace as I know how. And, and then if I get it wrong, um, which I, I might once in my career, um, if I get it wrong, um, I would ask for you to extend grace. Um, and so what I wanna do is I wanna look at three t- different texts from three different um, books of the Bible. Um, the, the, the first two come from Matthew, Mark, or come from actually uh, John and Luke's gospel. Uh, just as a quick refresher, um, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are all telling the same story, but they are telling it from a different perspective. So it's not like they're telling a different story, but they're talking to different people. They are written by different authors. That author has a different purpose, a different driving vision that they're trying to get across. Some are being written to Gentile audiences. Some are being written to a more Hebraic audience. Um, and so, uh, but they're all essentially trying to tell the same story. Now, if you go through and read the Gospels, and this is just for free, it's not really related to sermon, but one of the things you'll notice, like if you read the Gospels side by side, um, they don't, the timelines and different things don't always match up. Um, the stories are essentially, this, are, this, are essentially the same, but you find that like the authors, they didn't always get exactly everything in the right sequential order because partially they're making a case and they're trying to present that case to you and they're trying to help you see something about the character of Jesus. Um, okay, um, so the, the, the three texts, the one's from John, one's from Luke. John 20, verse 19 through 22. Um, this is the same text we read on Easter Sunday and it says this. On the evening of the first day when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... I love the fact that they included um, this, this nugget, that the doors were locked. Like, they're freaked out, and they're not afraid to tell you. They're in this upper room. They're scared. And then Jesus, without opening the door, without unlocking it, just like, poof, he is with them. And when you, when you poof into a room, you, you need some words of comfort. So his first words are, peace be with you. And then after he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were overjoyed, and they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. I think they were overjoyed like when they saw the Lord. I think partly like they didn't understand at first who it was until they saw his hands and his side. And then once again, they start freaking out again. So he's like, just in case you didn't hear me, peace be with you, chill. And, um, and, and he says, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. And then this, and then we read this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It seems the best I can tell, my best understanding, that when we become a follower of Jesus, when we like acknowledge Jesus, we have like this realization of who Jesus is as Lord, um, in that moment that we receive the power of the Spirit. That's kind of my belief. Um, other people d- would disagree with me. Some people like, you have to say a special prayer and this special, go to the altar a second time. Part of me thinks that people who created that doctrine just wanted more people to come to the altar, but that's, that's the skeptic inside of me. Um, and, but so you, you I believe, though, that when you become a follower of Jesus, that you have access to the power of the Spirit in your life. In fact, I would go as far as to say that I think the Spirit is working in places and beyond spaces where we're even, we think the Spirit is at work. The Spirit is at work um, in ways that we, we can't even begin to imagine. I mean, one of, I mean we, uh, one of the doctrines of the church is this idea of provenient grace. John Wesley talks about this a lot. Provenient grace is the, where the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is working in people who have not even yet believed, that the Spirit is beginning to soften their heart and beginning to open them up to the gospel. 
Um, and, and so I think the Spirit is at work in our world. The power of the Spirit is at work in our world. I even think the power of the Spirit may at times be working through people that we wouldn't choose. But we believe that, that when you become a follower of Jesus, that you have access to the power of the Spirit. But then there is two interesting things that we discover in Luke's Gospel and then again in the book of Acts. In Luke's Gospel, we read this, Luke 24, um, 48 through 49. It says, You were witnesses of these things, so this is essentially, all three of the texts I'm going to read are essentially telling the exact same moment right after Jesus um, appears to the disciples. And then in Luke's gospel, he says, you are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I think it's interesting that he uses similar, the language of being clothed, which is similar language that Paul uses in Galatians around baptism, right? When you're clothed with power, from on high, right? So you have the power of the Spirit, but, but something else is coming. And then, and then we read in Acts, and, and so you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Acts, and, and all, all those Gospels essentially take us to the moment that Jesus dies and rose again. Um, my favorite is, um, some of them just kind of end with the resurrection, or uh, yeah, end with the resurrection. My favorite is, are the Gospels that end with Jesus having breakfast with his disciples um, on the, the sea or on the shore. Uh, breakfast is my favorite meal. I don't think it gets enough respect, and so I'm just glad that Jesus appreciates a good breakfast. It's hard. This is a side note, but it's hard in D.C. to get good breakfast. Brunch, there's tons of brunch spaces, but if you just want like a solid breakfast, like morning breakfast spot, it's hard. If you know any, let me know. Uh, uh, okay, um, I, I'm off. Okay, uh, Acts, though, picks up the story um, of the early Christian movement. So Jesus has been uh, as returned to heaven, and so Acts kind of picks up the, the post story. And, and, and in Acts, we read this, Acts 1, 3 through 5, it says this. Um, After his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, John immersed you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be immersed with the Holy Spirit. And, and so what we believe is that when you are saved, you have access to the power of the Spirit. But Jesus seems to say, indicate, that there is something beyond simply the access to the power of the Spirit. We believe that God wants to empower you so that you can carry out God's mission in the world. The power of the Spirit is for a purpose. And, and, and receiving the Spirit and immersing yourself in the Spirit is opening, I believe, is opening yourself up to what God wants to do and say in, in your life. Um, there is a spiritual journey and none of us have arrived and we are all on this journey. And part of being on that journey is opening ourselves up to the baptism, to being immersed, to being washed in the power of the Spirit. It, um, the reason I don't like this is because it's nebulous. Um, so let me try my best to give you like a story, like talk a little bit about my own journey. Um, so when, when I was six years old, um, I went to a service and they, they gave the gospel message. And um, I was a pastor's kid. My dad wasn't preaching, um, probably we had a revivalist or something who would strut across the stage breathing heavily and talking about hell. And so I, I went down at age six um, and made my first commitment. And then I think I did the same thing at age seven and age eight and age nine and 10, 11, 12, so forth. Um, 
for good reason, I was not the best kid um, at age six and age seven. Um, And so, but I was always in church. Um, I would have always considered myself a follower of Jesus. Um, But for much of my my spiritual, much of my spiritual journey was very dry. Um, It Everything that I was doing, I could do within my own power. Um, and um, it, it, it consisted primarily of me trying to make God happy. Um, just, just try harder. Oh, it, it, things aren't going quite how they should. Well, you should just read your Bible more. You should just pray more. Maybe you're not having the right devotional time. Oh, your prayers aren't being answered. Maybe you're just not saying them quite right. right? Like, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried praying in the name of God this way? Right? And there's all these different things. And so you just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. But it's this constant treadmill where it feels like you're just trying to get the incantation right so that God will bless you or so that you'll get the spiritual life that you're always you always longed for but it always seemed like it was this elusive thing and then um and then when i when we started the church it was not long after we started the church um that i began to realize that that wasn't there had to be something more because i'll tell you if anything will drive you to prayer it is starting well starting anything but particularly starting a church um it seems way easier when you're sitting in your living room with four other people than once people actually start showing up um, and you begin having regular services and all these different things. And, and so I begin to really, I mean, I spent like six months trying to just figure this out for myself. And, and what, I, what I realized is that there are times that people will, they will go to the altar and someone will lay hands on them and they will be filled and baptized with the spirit like in that moment. They'll just like, in that moment, they will receive a holy boldness. That's what happens in Acts chapter two, right? 120 people are sitting in the upper room. The spirit comes on them and then these people who've been scared for their lives are like literally kind of shaking in an upper room. They go forth and they begin to preach the gospel with a holy boldness. I mean, they just like, boom. And if you read what they, their, their message is, it wasn't like God loves you and God wants the best for your life. No, when they leave that upper room, they're like, there's this guy named Jesus you killed him and you need to repent, right? That was kind of their message. It was very in your face in Jerusalem not long after Jesus died, right? It was this, it was this boldness. And, and so some of you, like you pray, you, you, like you have this experience with the Spirit and the Spirit washes over you, you're baptized in the Spirit, you're immersed in the Spirit, you're clothed in the Spirit, whatever word you want to use. Um, and, and like in that moment, like it is a prayer and it is like a one and done thing. But for others of you, if you're like me, it is a journey of, of placing yourself, of immersing yourself in spirit culture in places of prayer where people pray over you and hope the best for you, where, where you place yourself in worship settings and where you just keep over and over going back and saying, God, I want your spirit. I want what you have for me. I want to be open to what you want to do and to say through me. Help me to be open to where your spirit is already speaking. Help me to step into those streams, into those paths where your spirit is moving. And what began to happen is I began to then look back on my own journey as I thought about the future of the church. 
And I remember as a kid um, going down, there was some altar call, and I don't think it was for salvation this time, but I went because um, I, I wanted to help the numbers. And um, I always loved numbers. And I was like, you know what? If I go down, and like double the number of people at the altar tonight, and they can like count higher numbers. Anyway, um, uh, and so I went down, and there's this crazy charismatic lady who went to our church, and no one really knew what to do with her because she was weird, and she was just different. And, and then as I was at the altar, I was probably 10, 12 years old, she came and laid her hands on me and began to prophesy over me. People did not prophesy in the church I was from. And, and she began to speak truths about who I had become, truths that to this day are still being revealed to me. Right? She saw something that God wanted to do in my life that I could not see, but she was so in tune, she'd so immersed herself in the Spirit and so opened herself up to what the Spirit wanted to say through that she was speaking truths into my life that I didn't even know, that took me years to realize were even true. I think about another time when I went to the altar. Um, I was going to be a lawyer. That would kind of been the course and the trajectory of my life. Like, that was kind of what I planned to do. So even in high school, like, that was, like, what I knew I wanted to do. And I remember going down to the altar, and I remember just feeling, like, this, this call, this tug, that that wasn't what I was supposed to do. But it actually, I didn't end up settling that well into college. Um, but in that moment, where I just received a love and a passion for this city. Now, I didn't know that it was going to be as a pastor of this city, um, but God began to give me a love for Washington, D.C. and the people who lived in Washington, D.C. Like, I mean, if you'd known me when I was a teen, I would have told you that I was going to live in D.C. someday, right? That there was just that God's spirit was already beginning to lead and to guide. And, 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 and as I begin to look back over my life, I begin to realize that there were these, these moments, these encounters with the spirit or not only my own encounters, but also other people's encounters being open to the Spirit that led and guide me to the place where I am today. And, and as I thought about our own church and who our church is becoming, I want us to be a, a church that is so immersed in the Spirit, that is, that is so covered in the Spirit that people, that, that, and, and that we call people to become, to clothe themselves and be immersed, to be baptized in the Spirit, so that some kid who goes to our community can be, have a word spoken into their life, a word of truth, whether that kid is like 10 or whether that kid is like 32. Because what I've come to realize the older I get is that God rarely speaks from on high with a booming voice. If he did, life would be so much easier. But what I've discovered is that God speaks, through, speaks into our lives through other people who have opened themselves up and are in tune with the Spirit people who see truths about us. I don't know if you've ever been a part of this, and I, I want to do like a whole series someday on prayer, but for me, I have viewed prayer for so long as like, hey God, can you, can you help me get this thing? Can you help this person not be sick anymore? Can you help, you know, whatever it might be. God, God, I need this, I need this. But then I was with this group of, of, of crazy people who they just like gathered around somebody, and then they just waited for what God wanted to say and to speak into that person's life. And then they begin to speak those truths over that, that person's life. And that person just began to break down weeping. They said, because you, the things that you were praying over me are things that no one even knew about me. For whatever reason, I wish sometimes God could speak that directly to me so I didn't have to be in an awkward situation with other people praying over me. It makes me weird, right? I don't like to be in the center of attention, which is weird for someone who's a pastor. Um, but... 
But for whatever reason, we have so many blocks in our own head, our own biases and different things, that we need to be in a spirit culture where people are baptized in the spirit, immersed in the spirit, are listening, are in tune with the spirit, and listening to the truths that they want to speak over our lives. That's the kind of community we want to be. That's who we hope to be someday. And that's really why we're doing this series. I wish, like, I had, like, four steps for, for, us, to, for us to be better and to listen to the spirit more. I don't. I've got a few steps at the end that I hope will help lead us to being open to the Spirit. But as I think about who our community is in four years from now, five years from now, I want us to be a community that's so baptized um, in the power of the Spirit that we, we are a community that prays for each other, not just that God would do something for us, but that we would pray and listen to what God wants to speak into the lives of other people and then be bold enough to tell what God is saying. Right? People come up to me sometimes after service and say, look, I, and, and this weirded me out for a while because I'm just like, I whoever here is the biggest skeptic, I probably am a bigger skeptic than you. Like, I just am. Um, it's how I'm wired. I used to feel bad about it. I mean, I would sit in, like, these religious services. Once I you know, went up the altar, like, 25 times, like, by 12 years old, I mean, I would just sit in the back, and I was like, that is BS, right? I mean, it, anyway, that's, that's about me, not about, but the point is, if you are that, if you are the, that skeptic, right, I'm there with you. But people would come and say, look, I, I've got a, I have a word that I just really feel that God wants me to speak. And, and you know what? It may not be from God, I just, but I just feel I need to say it. And it would be exactly the word I need, needed at that moment. And I was so happy that they were willing to, to be bold enough. They're willing to be open enough. They're willing to step out. And that's the type of people that I want us to be. I want us to be in tune with what the Spirit is saying and be also bold enough to step out on faith and to follow where the Spirit is leading. And we won't always get it right. There will be times when we're like, you know what? Turns out maybe, maybe we, that, that wasn't the right word. But then there will be those times when God will show up in ways that will blow us away. Um, four quick things. The, here's what I'd ask, and, and, and then I want to read a, a verse, and then we'll be done. Um, first, Remove the barriers. For some of you, the, the barrier to allowing this, to being baptized in the Spirit, or being immersed in the Spirit, clothed in the Spirit, um, is theological, right? You, you have all these theological hang-ups. Um, you're, you're too smart for your own good. Um, I'm there with you. Not the overly smart, but just too skeptical, maybe, for my own good. Um, and, and, and I always wanted to figure everything out, and so I just would read more and read more and read more and read more, and then I just realized that no one agreed with any, anything, and I just felt more lost. And so one of the things I've just begun to do is said, look, God, I don't have this all figured out, but I, I'm opening myself up to what you want to do. And so just begin to step out of your head and step into a space of experience. The second thing is um, request the gift of the Spirit. Just say, um, Holy Spirit, whatever you have for me, I'll take it. I want your power to be active in my life. I want to hear your voice. I, I want to be in tune with what it is that you want to do through me. I want your power to be alive in me. And that's a prayer that each of us can pray. That's a prayer that some of us, if, if you're a bit like me and just a bit more stubborn, like you might have to pray it over and over, like this constant posture of being open to the Spirit. And in doing this, I, I'd ask you just to be open to something beyond the normal. Just say, Spirit, I'll take whatever it is that you have for me. Number three, receive it by faith. For whatever reason, in our spiritual journey, the best things that God has for us are not the things we planned. It is when we took a leap of faith into the dark. 
Um, and so just receive this by faith. Um, because I think that God is calling some of you to take another step. That God, not, I, don't, I know that God is calling all of you to take another step. That there is more, that God has more for you than what you currently, where you currently are. Um, two stories, or, or a verse and then a story. Um, there's a verse in Ezekiel, Ezekiel uh, 47, three through five. Ezekiel is this really weird book. Don't read it because you'll not know what it means because no one does. Um, there's some great books if you are into sci-fi. Um, there's some great books about how um, aliens and spaceships first appeared in Ezekiel. Um, it's real weird stuff. But anyway, um, so in Ezekiel, he's always getting these visions from God. And so he gets this vision and it says, as the man went eastward, this man in the vision, as the man went eastward, eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then he led through the water that was ankle deep, right? So he is still totally in control. And then he measured off another thousand cubits and he led me through the water that was knee deep. And then he measured another thousand and he led me through water that was now up to my waist. But you've been in water, like you wade into the ocean, you're still in control at waist deep. And then he measured off another thousand. But now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim. A river that no one can cross. And the vision goes on and the vision goes on and says it is in those deep waters where it is where you are now no longer in control, where you have lost complete control that the river is teeming with life. And I think it is in those moments, particularly for those of us who are too smart for our own good, those people in, who move to D.C. because we have great analytic minds or whatever it might be, but we want to be in control. But in our spiritual journey, it is when we step, allow ourselves into the deepest part of the water where we feel a bit out of control that I think that God has something more for us, something more than we can ever ask or imagine. It is only in the part where we lose control that we discover true life. Um, as I was reading this, 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 there's a lot of imagery in scripture about water and rivers. Um, there's some great imagery of water rushing down and beginning to just to fill the dry lands and it, it can't be stopped and it just flows everywhere and brings life. There's a lot of connection between water and life. Um, uh, but one of those weird moments where someone had a word um, was when we were still at uh, our old location on H Street. It was probably about two and a half, three years ago. And um, there was this guy who was in town. He was, a peace, he was doing a PhD at Yale University in peace studies. Um, he was a smart dude, and, uh, which is probably why I listened to him a little longer than I would have normally when some person came up to me after service and said, God gave me a word, and I wrote it all down for you. Um, and, uh, and, and so he, he, he gave me this piece of paper. Um, and in it, he says, I was praying in service today, and he says, I never do this. He said, I rarely ever have anything like this happen. As I was praying, he said, I began to see the table church as a river that was flowing out into Washington, D.C. He said, but, but while I was praying, I began to see that there would be some blocks, some things that would stop the water. And he said, but, but as I continued praying, I just, I, I, I saw that, that the water would eventually crush those things in its way and that God was going to use this community in a powerful way to bring refreshing and healing life to Washington, D.C. He handed me the card, and he walked out. I never saw him again. 
but I keep that card by my bedside table. And what he didn't know is a year or two later, like we began to really hit some difficult times as a community. I mean, this, this, when you're a church plant, like this happens, right? You begin to navigate through different difficult times. And in those difficult moments, I would keep referring back to that card and that word because I believe that God wants to do such amazing things that he is just getting started with our community. And we have to just believe that even in the difficult times, even when it seems that we are hitting barriers, that we are believing that the the author of all life, the river of life will overcome whatever it is we are, we are facing because God wants to bless our city. God wants to bless people. He wants to transform lives. He wants to bring about justice in our city and our world through people that are tuned in and open to what he wants to do in and through them. And even in the moments when we hit barriers, when the water is backed up and it seems that there is no path forward, that the water cannot be stopped. And so as I was, re- as I was reading this, this verse and thinking about all this, I just, that, 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 that word just kept coming back to me. So number four, um, I just encourage you to open yourself up to God daily, to what God wants to say in and through um, your life. Like keep coming back, keep, keep each day saying, Spirit, I, I want whatever it is that you have for me. Um, God wants to be a part of your life on a daily basis, not just in the moments of crisis. Now, maybe you're not like me, but it seems that it's only when things are going wrong and like, hey, God, we, we really need to get close right now. We need to figure some things out. And then when everything is going right, I'm like, you know, I think God and I must be good because things seem to be going well. I'll check back in later. But God wants to be in your life on a daily basis, not just in the moments of crisis or in the big, exciting moments. And so now... I'm gonna end the series. This is it. I have no more like perfect nuggets of wisdom. All I wanna do as we go forth is I wanna pray a prayer, a verse over you from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And I would just ask you that as you go forward that you would just be open to what the Spirit wants to do and to say in your life and that you would place yourself in communities and in spaces, whether it be worship or prayer or, or people that will speak truth and listen to God and speak truth in your life, that you'll begin to place yourself into, sp- into spaces where the Spirit can work and move um, in you. And, and it can be different, it's gonna be different for different people. But I want us to be a community of people that are open to what the Spirit wants for us and wants to do through us and wants to say through us. Because God's plan, God's plan is to bless the world through us. And that only happens through people that are open to being used and being open to what God wants to do. So would you bow your heads? I want to pray this verse over you. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ wash over you. And may you experience the extravagant love of God. And may you experience an intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. And may he be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.